We continue in an ongoing series that we've been in for some time called Expectancy. And it's a verse-by-verse journey through the Gospel of Mark. That's how we've been progressing, just taking time, not in a rush, but taking time just to look and allow God's Word to challenge us, to speak to us, and to really uh, draw us to be more like Jesus. And I want to say this, is last week, uh, my desire really had been to be with you, and we had to make a kind of a last-minute change over the weekend, and just very uh, grateful for the team as they just stepped in and were able to lead, and very grateful for Pastor David for many great things just about the message that he had shared. Um, and just to know while I was not with you, it really felt odd to be home on a Sunday for you to be gathering and worshiping and for my family to be here, but my heart was with you, and I'm glad to be back with you uh, this morning. But in Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse number 30, this morning I'd like for us to take time and look at a miracle that is very familiar, I believe, to most. It's the the miracle that if you have your Bible open, it's labeled Jesus feeds the 5,000. And it's the only miracle in the Bible by Jesus that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. The New Testament opens with four different Gospels, four different accounts of Jesus' life. It's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and this is the only miracle recorded in all four of them, which really speaks something to the significance of this miracle and the impact that it had on the life of the disciples. But it stood out to them so much that they recorded it in all four of the Gospels, and each one has a little bit of a different, uh, different remembrance that actually adds details into the story. But what I'd like to do this morning is to take a little bit of a different approach than how we often will progress through a story. I want to read through it all together, the entire story, so you have it in front of you. And then we'll come back and look at it a section at a time. And I want to really point out to you four different ministry principles or things that point to the way God desires to work through our lives and how we align our lives with what it is that God's desiring to do. So let's look at this together in Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse number 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Most think that there's about a five-minute track from where the people were to where they arrived at to where Jesus was arriving. When Jesus landed there and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd, so he began to teach them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy buy themselves something to eat. Verse 37 But he answered, you give them something to eat. And I want you to keep that phrase in mind as we look through all of this story together. He says, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we going to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute among the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was about 5,000. 
You see, again, a very incredible miracle. And I want to show you four things that apply specifically into our lives when it comes to having, being able to offer something and recognizing God's desire to work through your life. Not just through this church as a whole, but his desire is to work through your life and to minister through your life. So the first one I want you to see is that God wants to work through you. Rather simple, rather straightforward, but God wants to work through you. And when I say you, I'm not meaning in mass, I'm meaning you as an individual. God wants to work through you. Look with me again in verse number 30, just in the very beginning. We've already seen it. Jesus tells his disciples in verse 37, he says, you give them something to eat. But I want you to see this at the very beginning. It says, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. If you look earlier in the story, if you'll remember earlier in Mark's gospel, chapter six, the the verses that towards the beginning of the, the story Jesus had sent his disciples out. He had sent them out to do miracles. He had sent them out to spread the gospel. And so this story we're looking at today begins with them coming back and reporting everything that God had just done through them. They were excited. They were ecstatic to hear and to see the reports of how Jesus had worked through their lives and how the power of God had flowed through them. And they were sharing these reports. So they came back and have this amazing report of everything that God had done through them. And the disciples at this point are tired. They're hungry, they're weary, they're worn. They've gone from a significant time of ministry and jumped into another time of ministry. And as we see in the story in just a few moments, they're going to be surprised with another significant time of ministry. But the disciples are tired, they're worn, they're hungry. They've been walking on foot, they've been traveling, and they're drained. They're drained as ministry drains. If you serve in ministry, you'll find that there's a spiritual drain, there's a physical drain, there's a mental drain, and the disciples are just tired. They're tired, they're ready for a break, they're ready for a time away. And so when they return to Jesus, we see that the disciples return and there's a crowd that is so big and so intense that it says the people continue to come and go. There's no break in the crowd coming and going. Verse 31 says that the crowd continued to come and go. And Jesus recognizes this weariness in his disciples. They've already been serving, they've already been giving, they've already been offering. God's been working through them. And so in verse 31, Jesus initiates this time away. Jesus suggests it. He says in verse 31, he says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. He says, let's take a break. Let's break away. Let's, let's get away so that we can get some rest. And so the disciples recognize this invitation by Jesus. And I think that that is a reminder to everyone here that whether you serve or not, not only does God desire to work through you and through your lives, but his desire is for you. His longing is for you. Jesus initiated this time away and wanted time away with the disciples. So he initiated this identifying, I want time with the disciples. I want time to be able to refresh them, to renew them, helping them recognize that everything that they were going to be doing through their lives all was rooted in their time with Jesus. Their time being alone with him, being renewed with him and being restored. And we look in verse 32, not only did Jesus initiate this time away, But the disciples made time for it. The disciples responded and made time for Jesus. They realized that all they are doing is directly linked to their time with him. So they they paused. They stepped away from the busyness. They stepped away from the demands. The demands were still there. The people were still coming. But they recognized the importance of pausing and stepping away to have time with Jesus. And I would just ask you, when was the last time you paused? 
When was the last time you paused from the busyness of life, the busyness of ministry, the demands of people, the demands of family, the demands of everything that comes on your life? When was the last time that you paused and made quality time to be with Jesus? What God does through you never trumps what he does in you. His greatest priority is always what he can accomplish and do in your life. And anything that he does through your life flows out of what he's doing in your life. It's important for you and I to take time to recognize the importance of pausing and not doing ministry or serving just for the sake of ministry or the sake of serving, but rather to recenter our heart and our purpose on Jesus. To get back to the why of why we do ministry. The why of what it is that you're offering. To realize that ministry is the offering of God's presence through your life. It's not merely just filling a position or holding a door or handing out a bulletin or filling a classroom or answering a phone or whatever that ministry position may look like. That is not the why behind it. The why is being able to minister and offer the presence of Jesus through your life. And if you're not spending time with him and pausing from the busyness of ministry and the busyness of life, if you're not pausing and making time to be with Jesus, then what you're offering is a lot of activity, but not the quality of his presence in your life. Jesus created and desired the time with the disciples, and the disciples responded to spend time with Jesus. What we do for God can never replace our time with him. But it's in the midst of all of this, it's the simple reminder that God wants to work through you. God wants to work through you. Secondly, the second ministry principle or ministry truth that we can see in this story is that God's invitations often come disguised as interruptions. God's invitations often come disguised as interruptions. Look in the story with me in verse number 33. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. I want you to picture what's happening. Jesus has recognized to his disciples, listen, my guys need a break. They can't just continue in this day in, day out ministry rhythm and, and serving and giving and going and the lack of being able to sleep consistently, the lack of being able to eat consistently. We've seen this throughout the gospel so far that there's such a demand on the presence of Jesus and even his disciples that they're not even able to eat and take care of themselves. So Jesus recognizes it's important for his guys to break away, to have this time with him. And as they hop in the boat and they begin to travel across the lake, another trip across the same lake we've been looking at, somewhere, someone who knows the geography very well recognizes Jesus and his disciples leaving and recognizes their trajectory, recognizes where they're going, and begins to run. The Bible says they literally began to run from town to town, telling everyone where Jesus was headed. So get this, this person who are a person or, or people who number of people, they recognize Jesus is leaving. They recognize where he's going. And it says, it tells us that they begin to run. So they're running and they come up on the first town. They arrive in town and they say, hey, listen, Jesus and his disciples are headed over to such and such a place. And then they take off running again. And people jump into that crowd and begin to run with them. They arrive to another town because it says that they went from town to town. So they run to the next town. Now you have this crowd coming into the next town. A little bit of a commotion. Everyone stops. What's happening? 
Well, Jesus and his disciples are headed over to this place here. And so they run and they go to the next town, the next town, the next town. And by the time Jesus and his disciples are pulling up onto the shore, there's a crowd waiting for them. Talk about an unplanned interruption. In fact, our, our, the gospel will tell you if you have a, a gospel, the Bible that has the, the headings above the passages we just looked at, it'll tell you Jesus feeds 5,000. But the story will tell you at the end that it's just the men that they're counting. So really, most estimates say that this mass that had arrived at the shore where Jesus was headed was anywhere from fifteen to 20,000 strong. A little bit of an interruption. They had this plan to get away, to get refreshed, to get renewed. And as they pull up on the shore, there's 20,000 people waiting there for them. It says that they're there and they're waiting for Jesus. I would imagine that most here have had times where you had a break or you needed a break or you needed time away and perhaps you had planned a vacation time or some downtime or an extended weekend and it just seemed as if the interruptions didn't stop coming. That by the time you reach the end of that time or that, that end of that day or the end of the, the time away that you really didn't feel refreshed because you never really fully disconnected. I can remember a number of years ago, uh, we were serving in a different position, a different church, and our house, it was in the fall season, and our family had just been battling sickness as, as families with multiple people living in them will do. And it really had gone from one person to the next. Our kids were sick. My wife was sick. I was fighting sickness. And I remember I just kept pushing myself, as probably many of the men here do, keep pushing yourself, pushing yourself, and finally there's that voice of reason that's your wife saying, you need to just stop. You need to take a day, a sick day. You need to just rest. You need to get in bed. And so I finally, I listened to her voice. I listened to her wisdom. And her whole family was sick. The kids stayed home from school. I stayed home from work. And just, we kind of just crashed. We had one of those days where you spend a good chunk of the day in bed. You get up and eat and kind of head back to bed or check on whoever needs the most care at that time. Well, we had gotten up in the evening to just kind of to have dinner to feed the kids and kind of just to get back into the rhythm and, and continue to everyone met up and, and, and head to bed again. And there was a knock on the door. And I remember going to the door at that time and there was a couple from our church standing there and we weren't in like deep relationship with them, but someone had coming and standing by the door and I asked them, I said, can I help you? And they said, well, we went by the church office today and they had said that you were out sick. So we thought we'd come over because we still need to talk to you. <laughs> and so I'm standing at the door, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm thinking, oh, man, how do I handle this? I mean, do I say what's, what's on my mind, or do I remember I'm their pastor as well? So I, I went with the pastor line. I went with the fact that I'm their pastor, so we're talking. And I'm trying to just drop this very polite hint. I'm saying, you know, yeah, you're right. The office said I was out sick because I'm sick. Um, <laughs> I stayed home sick. You know what? My wife is sick. My kids were out sick today. I said, in fact, we just, just got up to eat something quick, and we're going to head back to bed. We're just, this is, we're just sick. I said, we're sick. And they said, great, can we come in? <laughs> and so they came on in, and, and we just did our best to minister, to talk with them. They were facing something in their life. We ministered to them. We prayed for them. And then they went on their way. And to me, it was a very inconvenient moment, obviously. It wasn't something I had planned. I had planned some, not planned, but had really been forced to take some downtime, not feeling well. But to them, it was a ministry moment to offer the presence of Jesus. And that reminded me, much like I see with Jesus and his disciples, they're looking forward to this downtime. And when they get there, there's a crowd waiting for them. 
But it's a reminder to you and to me that the greatest ministry opportunities that come our way are often going to come at what we consider to be the most inconvenient times. It's going to come at the most inconvenient times. When you look through the Gospels, when you look through the Gospel of Mark, we've already seen some of the accounts of Jesus' life, and we'll look at more in the weeks ahead. And if you look at any of the Gospels, you'll notice more times than not the miracles that Jesus is a part of, the lives that he's touching, the, the dead that he's raising, the people that he's healing, they are not the destination of where he's headed. They're merely on the way to where he's headed, and they're an interruption in the journey. But Jesus continually makes time for these interruptions, recognizing them as a divine assignment that comes his way in the midst of where he's headed. In John 5, Jesus makes it clear that he, he recognizes what God the Father is doing and he aligns himself with those purposes. And that's the same in your life and in my life. Most opportunities won't look like opportunities when they first present themselves. It's going to come as an inconvenience, it's going to come at the wrong time, the wrong place, or any number of wrong things. Just like this crowd in this story that wasn't supposed to be on this beach. But what presents itself as an inconvenience becomes the most recorded miracle in the New Testament. And I want you to notice how Jesus, what Jesus does with, with this interruption. In John's gospel, when he's describing this scene, it says Jesus welcomes them. Jesus welcomed the interruption into his plans. In Mark's gospel, we're reading it here. It says that, verse 34, it says he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. He paused and recognized what they were feeling. Compassion means to, to feel what others are feeling. Not just to feel bad for what they're feeling, but to feel what others are feeling. And Jesus not only welcomed them, but he had compassion on them. Friends, as long as you and I view interruptions in our lives and in our plans as interruptions, that I truly believe we will miss most, if not all, of the God divine, the divinely orchestrated moments that God sends our way. But if, like Jesus, we're willing to embrace and accept the interruptions as divine interruptions, then we position our lives to become a part of the solution that God wants to use to bring healing, to bring hope, to bring provision, to bring a clear picture of his love into the lives of others. But it goes from being willing to view interruptions as interruptions and to view interruptions as divine invitations into opportunities. To recognize that God wants to use us in his, in his re revealing himself to others. Third ministry principle that I want to give you, found in the story, is our own resources will never be enough. Our own resources will never be enough. Look with me in Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse number 35, and we'll read through 38. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we going to go spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. I want you to see that the disciples are viewing this interruption and they want it gone. Jesus welcomes it. The disciples are, Jesus, let's just send this on its way. We don't have to be a part of this. It's their problem. They, 
They were the the ones that ran five miles to where we didn't want them to be anyways. Let them solve it. Why do we have to provide the meal? It's their issue. The disciples want this interruption dismissed. But I want you to see something in this story, and John's gospel really records it. Look with me in John chapter 6. Uh, if you'll turn over to John chapter 6, keep your, keep your hand there in Mark chapter 6. Uh, we'll come right back to that. But in John chapter 6, as John is sharing this account of the, the feeding of the 5,000, John chapter 6, beginning in verse number 5. I want to read verses 5, 6, and 7. It says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy for these, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Just pause there for a second. It says that Jesus on the front end of this entire miracle, the moment he's arriving on the shore, the moment he's welcoming this interruption, the moment he's seeing this crowd before he even begins to teach them, he turns to his disciples, Philip specifically, And he begins to share with Philip his intent. He begins to share with them. He says he asks him only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Jesus recognized that this was a divine moment that God was giving him, and he was welcoming it. So he asked Philip. He says, Philip, what what do you think about this? Where are we going to buy enough bread for these people to eat? Listen to Philip's answer. Verse 7 in in John chapter 6. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for, even, for everyone to have one bite. Talk about a man of faith. <laughs> Philip takes what Jesus is presenting, and he just douses it with doubt. He says, listen, Jesus, <laughs> I like your idea. Not going to happen. He says, if we were to invest an entire year, the 12 of us were to get together and invest half a year working and gaining food that we could feed these people, we'd have just enough to hand it around and say, hey, listen, only take one bite because there's not enough for everyone else. That's what Philip is saying. Philip is really being very, is being very negative to this opportunity that Jesus is presenting him with. Now look with me. So we see it's Philip. Philip is the one who is the killjoy. Philip is the one who's saying, this can't happen, Jesus. Even if we work for half a year, we barely get enough for everyone to get one bite, let alone to fill them. Now flip over to Mark chapter 6, back where we're at again. Mark chapter 6 in verse 37. Look at Philip's response. Then he answered, you give them something to eat. It says, they said to him, it doesn't say Philip. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we going to, are we going to, Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? In John's gospel, it's Mark. In John's gospel, rather, it's it's Philip. Now in Mark's gospel, it's all the disciples. This negative atmosphere, this negative comment, this negative posture towards the possibility has spread. Philip has spread his negative comment. He has, instead of letting them see all that Jesus could possibly do, remember this whole story began with the disciples coming back to Jesus and saying, look at everything that you just did through our lives and our willingness to serve. They're sharing all these incredible miracles and now they can't even get past the fact that there's people in need of food and Jesus is with them. But instead of it being just Philip, now it's all of the disciples. And I see Philip going to the other disciples and saying, listen, He's wanting to feed these people. I already told him. I already told him we could go work half a year and only one one bite, but he doesn't seem to listen. Maybe you go talk to him. And he sends Peter over. He sends Peter over to talk to him. He sends Andrew over to talk to him. But we see that this negativity has spread. You know, I say this on a side note, is that if all you can see is a negative and what can't be done, 
then do the faith of everyone else around you a favor and keep your mouth shut. That's a good lesson from, from Philip. That if, only, if the only thing you can see is a negative and what can't be done, then do the faith of everyone else around you a favor and keep your mouth shut. Just pray and believe that God's going to give you the faith that you're seeing them walk in. Don't be the one who's going to try to kill the faith and the excitement of what God's doing through other people and the potential that they're seeing because you can't see it. Miracles, miracles re- rarely happen in a negative environment because it runs contrary to faith. Faith sees possibilities. Negativity only sees impossibilities. And it seems that Jesus leaves Philip and the disciples to straighten this out while he sets out to teach the people. Jesus's first priority is to teach the people. He begins to give them God's word. He begins to teach them. He begins to instruct them in the word and the truth of God's word. And it says that when he, when it comes time to eat, he's left his disciples to try to, to sort this out, to try to come to a place of understanding and what it is that he plans to do. When it's time to eat, he comes to the disciples and he says, so, so what do we have? What do we have? He says, how many loaves do you have? And apparently, while Jesus has been teaching, the disciples have been making their way through the crowds of of up to 20,000 people and probably have been watching. And if they notice someone has a bag, they'll go over and say, hey, hey, what's in your bag? What do you have? What'd you bring with you? And the person probably shooed them off. They go to the next person. Hey, what do you have? Well, I just have enough for me and my family. Go look on. And continue just this, this conversation, these 12 men making their way through this massive crowd. They finally come to Jesus. They've been trying to solve this in their own way. They finally come to Jesus, and Jesus asks them, he says, what do you have? And they present five loaves and two fish, the sack lunch of a boy. And the loaves are not what you would picture when you go to the store today, and you go to the store, and you pick out a nice loaf of bread that's all sliced up, and you picture this nice big loaf of bread. That's not what Jesus was talking That's not what they were presenting to Jesus. The meal that they were presenting to Jesus was the meal of a very common poor person of the day, a meal that that the mom would have given her son, two dried, very small dried fish. In John's account, Andrew makes this very clear to say these are very small pieces of bread, very small fish. The bread is not a big, big loaf of bread that you'd see at the store, but rather is more of just a, almost like a fat tortilla and a large cracker. Very small, five loaves and two small fish. Again, it's emphasis on the small. That's what, in John's account, they continue to emphasize the small. That it's a common meal of the day for someone who doesn't carry very much. Makes it clear that this is a meal for a small boy. But I find it interesting that out of up to 20,000 people, the only person who's willing to offer something is someone who is so significant that he's not even counted in the head count. That it's only the men who are counted, and yet you have a boy who's willing to say, I have something to offer. And so he gives it to the disciples. The disciples are presenting to Jesus not really even what they have to offer. They're presenting what the little boy has to offer. And the disciples make it very clear that what they have to offer won't make a dent. But what they fail to see is Jesus wasn't looking for them to solve the problem. Jesus was only looking for them to be available. And his desire was to include them on every aspect of the miracle and every aspect of revealing himself to the people who had come. They simply had to say yes and be available. When it comes to our lives, the problem of resources is never the problem. The ability of what you have to offer is never the problem. The root problem is the attitude with which we view our resources 
If you feel that you need more, more time, more money, more skill, more talent, then you will never have enough to offer. If you focus only on what you don't have, then you will never have enough to offer. But when you view what you do have to offer, to give and to use, whether it be your time, your talent, your money, your resources, your compassion, I tell you right now, in your own abilities, that won't be enough. But God never looks at your resources to solve his problems. He looks to his resources. And he looks for men and women, young and old, that he can use as an avenue to flow through, to be available and to be willing and ready to use, to be used. So Jesus asked them in verse 38, he doesn't ask them what they don't have. He asks them what they do have. He says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. He wasn't focused on what they couldn't offer. Jesus was focused on what they could offer. He didn't look at what they offered, the, the, the five small cakes and the, the two little dried fish. He didn't look at those and, and say, hey, thanks, but no thanks. Nice try, guys. I'll just wing this on my own. Jesus didn't do that. He took what they were willing to offer, and he included it into the miracle of what he was wanting to do. See, the disciples had overlooked the resources that they did have because they were so small and because they were so insignificant. And I would suggest because they were in the wrong hands. That as long as their resources and what it was that they had gathered remained in their hands, then it really remained their problem to solve. But the moment they took what they had and they put it in the hands of Jesus, everything changes in the story. The outcome, the opportunity, the faith, the miracle, everything changes the moment they put it into the hands of Jesus. Once they put it into his hands, what was not enough immediately becomes more than enough. Which brings me to my last point. Never enough plus God equals more than enough. Never enough plus God equals more than enough. Look with me at the story one more time. Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 39. Then Jesus directed them to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. It says Jesus takes it, and he blesses it. He takes it, and he blesses it. He takes what is less than enough in their hands. It transfers to his, his hands. And he blesses it, and what is less than enough becomes more than enough. And it's interesting how he divides it up. We have five very small little cakes or crackers, two very small and significant dried fish. And it says Jesus takes it, and he divides it up among his disciples. So you take, do the math, you have five small crackers, five small cakes among 12 men. Each one has less than half. Takes two very small fish, just enough for a boy to eat divides them up among 12 disciples. Each one has a very small part. And I would imagine these men are standing there and they're holding what would probably be the equivalent of what you might hold on communion when we hold communion Sunday. Very small cracker, very small piece of bread, a very small piece of fish, and they're standing there just looking. Jesus has walked by and put it in their hands and he's just looking and they're like, is, he's, is he serious? Is he serious that we're each going to take what's in our hands and look at this crowd, 
is Jesus really serious that, this is, that we're going to do something with this? But somewhere in there, we have to commend the disciples' faith. Because as Jesus begins to pray, they begin to move in faith. And they begin to move into the crowd. And it says that they take the small little piece of fish sitting in one hand and the small little piece of bread sitting in the other. And they walk among the crowd and they begin to take it and break it. And as they begin to break it and pass it, the miracle begins to, trans- to take place in their very hands that as they take it and pass it again and 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 again. What was less than enough in their hands just a moment ago now has become more than enough because they put it into the hands of Jesus. And not only does this story say that that not only did the the crowd eat more than enough, it says that they ate, and John says they ate as much as they wanted, and they were stuffed, and there were basketfuls left over. Makes it clear that everyone ate. That means that the disciples who started out hungry on this whole trip and were frustrated because they wanted this time away with Jesus, they ate their fill as well. Less than enough plus God always equals more than enough. So much so that it's a reminder that with God, small is never insignificant, but more than that, never enough with God is always more than enough. See, friends, whatever we hold in our hands that we view as not enough, when we transfer it into God's hands, it becomes more than enough, and that goes for your time, that goes for your money, that goes for your ability, that goes for anything and everything that you take and put into his hands. Allowing him to bless it and multiply it will go far, far, far further than anything can ever do as you hang on to it in and of ourselves. As we approach the holiday season, it's hard to think that we're already in October and you're, you're hearing about Trunk or Treat and the opportunity that's coming at the end of this month with Trunk or Treat. It's hard to think, but we're already very fast approaching Thanksgiving and Christmas and just everything that that fits into that season. And as a church, we have been given a number of opportunities to make an impact on our community. And that is to not just put our name in the community, but rather to meet practical needs in the lives of individuals in need in our community and allow Jesus be seen as we meet those practical needs. Jesus met the practical needs of the crowd that had come to him. And as he met their practical need, he also continued to reveal himself to them more. So what I'd like to do this morning is just lay out to you some ways that you and I have been given as a church family that we can respond to Jesus' charge to give them something to eat, to step into the lives of those in need and offer them something. In fact, at the end of the service, in just a moment, instead of having an official close where you come forward, we're going to do what I would call a reverse altar call. I'm going to encourage you to go. There's a number of tables around the sanctuary this morning, and I'll begin to explain to you what they are in just a moment. But I want to encourage you to not leave this morning without finding a couple of different ways to get involved in these different opportunities. The first one is, the first one as you look at, you've heard of Trunk or Treat. Trunk or Treat is an opportunity that we have as a church family to offer our community a safe environment for their kids to come, to receive candy, and also to allow the love of Jesus to shine through our lives. For everyone working and serving, there just as an opportunity to engage with people as they come and as they are serving and as they're, they're offering themselves and just being available and friendly. We're needing individuals to sign up and to be a car, to offer a car, much like you'll see here in the sanctuary this morning. 
to be a car that is a booth that kids can stop by and you can engage the parents who are there and begin to talk with them about just their lives and where they're at. Not only do we need candy, but we need volunteers to serve and be a part. And this isn't just about getting people to, to decorate their cars and offer candy, but rather it's creating contact points to let Jesus be seen through our lives with our community. I would encourage you today before the service is over, stop by the car. There's a spot there that you can sign up, that you can commit to being a part of it. Secondly, we are this coming Thanksgiving, we're planning to do care packages into our community. We have identified that the Benevolence Committee has been working to identify 40 different families in our community that we can come alongside in a very practical way to meet their need during the Thanksgiving season. And so we are working together as a church family to put together care packages that in the week of Thanksgiving, we have a couple or we have a family or someone who will go, a team that will go and step into the home of the individuals that we're ministering to, bring them a care package from the church that has the entire Thanksgiving meal in it and ready to be cooked and to eat, and not only presenting them with the care package to meet their need, but then looking for ways to pray and engage with them and talk with them and to see if there's any other needs that we might be able to meet. We're looking for teams, and you'll hear about that in the weeks ahead. We're looking for teams to be able to step into those homes, and you'll have the opportunity to sign up and to be a part of that. But for now, I'm simply asking as a church family, you'll see on the different tables around the the sanctuary this morning, specifically on this side of the sanctuary, that we have little cards, and we're going to invite you to stop by as, as we end this morning, to stop by a table and take one or two cards. There's a card for a turkey. There's a card for a gift card. There's a, a card for different, different things that need to go into the box by way of practical food things. And most of them are going to cost anywhere from 3 to $10. Not much of an investment. But if we each take a card and commit, or even a couple of cards, and take it and commit, and then there's a, it gives you all the deadline of when to bring it back and when to have it so we can have an assembly time and to pray over them. But it's a small way of, of investing and reaching into the lives of those in our community who have need. Our kids' ministry has taken one entire food product of the care packages and is already working to, to fill that entire need. But let me encourage you this morning. Find a way. Be a part. Stop in and grab one or two cards to, be a, to commit to being a part of these, these care packages. Thirdly, as a church family, we've been planning a Christmas care outreach that we'll use to target a number of families from our community as well. Some of them are going to come out of the, the families that we're coming alongside of during the Thanksgiving season. And our goal is to have teams from State College Assembly come alongside these families during the Christmas season and to identify one or two specific significant needs in their family. Significant needs that this family may need, and some of them may be within the church. Many of them are going to be outside the church family. And our desire is to help those in need and not only connect with them to meet that need during the Christmas season, but then to have teams and individuals follow up with them in the, the months ahead to make it clear that not only do we care about your needs when the, when the needs are present during the Christmas season, but we care about you as a person. That they have a church and state college that cares about them and cares about their needs and wants them to be able to, to see Jesus through our lives as we're meeting their practical needs. And so in the weeks ahead, you'll hear about ways to become a part of those teams they're going to be caring. But for now, I would ask you to consider being a part. And there's a table on this side of the room of, of some ways that you can be a part. We need to raise a total of $10,000 to come alongside and recognize these needs that these families have. And some of that's already been pledged and there's already been donations towards that. But there's a table there for a fundraiser linked with Yankee Candle. We're just asking you to take a packet, take it to your workplace, invite people to sign up to be a part. And it's just a small way to generate towards this outreach that we're having. There's also a table for those who get pictures during the Christmas season. You get a picture that you want to do on a card or you want to put in a, in a letter. 
we have a photographer who's going to come and just for, for a fee, they're going to be here and you can get your family pictures taken. And then a portion of what you pay is going specifically to this outreach. And so if you're planning to get pictures taken for the Christmas season, sign up, sign up. The, the, the sittings will be later in the month, towards the end of the month. But for now, make a commitment and sign up to be, be a part to help generate some funds towards this opportunity. And then later in November, we'll be receiving a Christmas benevolence offering, something we've done each year. And I believe through those opportunities that we're going to be able to meet those needs and come alongside these families in very practical ways. Fourth way, we have an opportunity, we've been granted permission to set up a cart outside of both Walmarts in town, as well as a key location downtown. And for three weekends in December, for a few hours each weekend on Fridays and Saturdays, that we're going to be off out of this cart. We're going to be offering hot drinks, hot coffee, hot chocolate, and uh, as well as invites to our special Christmas Eve service. Uh, just a Christmas cart to be able to step in the lives of people, where they're at, where they're living, where they're shopping, and to be able to offer small care, a small cup of coffee, small cup of hot chocolate, to let them know that we care about them, that we love it, love them. One of the sites is going to have live music one of the times, but just a small way to invest in our community and show our community that we're here and that we love and that we care for them. And there'll be signups for that in the weeks ahead. Those are events that are in addition to the annual events that we do as a church that are out of the cold. We open our our doors in a matter of just a handful of weeks in November. We'll open the doors of our church for two straight weeks in the evenings. So the homeless can come in and be able to get a warm meal and have a, get a hot shower and have a, have a warm bed that they can sleep in. And there's volunteers that we need for that. There's a spot you can sign up there. There's also Operation Shoebox, which is a global touch to the children in our world. And we've done those for a number of years. Those are still opportunities that we're going to be offering. But if you, I, I would just tell you this, as you hear all of these things from the needs of Trunk or Tree to the Thanksgiving care packages to the Christmas care outreach that we're offering, when you look at these, you might come into this place and you might say, well, I've been looking for an opportunity. Now I have it. Now I'm going to go sign up for one or two of these things. But I guarantee you, even if you didn't come this morning looking for an opportunity, there is an opportunity looking for you. Just like the disciples, there was an opportunity looking for them that was waiting for them at the destination of where they were headed. That this morning, there is an opportunity looking for you. There's a large number of opportunities, and I would encourage each one to be a part. Not only would I encourage each individual to be a part, but I challenge you that we need you to be a part. It's a great way for us to engage and to touch our community with the love of Jesus. And with all of these, I would encourage you to find at least one way to give and one way to serve. At least one way to give and one way to serve. Both are ways that we can present our time and our talents and our resources and put them in God's hands and allow him to use them. And with all of these, and you can stand with me, with all of these, it may sound like a lot. They just laid out these different events and you'll continue to hear about them in the weeks ahead. But I would encourage you before you leave today, stop by a table, stop by a couple of tables and commit to being a part. And in fact, I'll invite our leaders to move to these tables now and to be able to be there to answer questions. But with all of these, it may sound like a lot. You might be like, wow, you just laid a lot in front of us to, to consider over the next few weeks. And to some of you, it may sound like a massive crowd standing on the shore of your holiday season at what you pictured as a restful time to relax, to take it easy with your family. But it's a reminder that for you and me both, that everyone has something to offer. And that when we take what we have to offer and we put it into the hands of Jesus, 
that he can take it and use it exponentially more than you or I have the possibility to do on our own. And he can take it and give our community a clear picture of his love and his care as we're willing to be a part of what it is that he desires to do. And so this morning, as I mentioned, we're going to end with a very formal ending. Normally we'll invite people to come to the front and to pray. But I want to have a very formal ending this morning. I'm going to encourage you, don't just, don't just hit the doors and leave. Don't just think, hey, we're done early. I'm getting out of here. I'm heading out. I want you to take time, walk around the room, see the different tables. Take time to look at the, the care packages. See, how can I be a part? I go to the table and ask, God, how are you asking me to be a part of this? Stop in over here at the trunk or treat or stop in at the, the Christmas events and stop in and say, God, how are you asking me to be a part of this? And then allow him to flow through your life to let his life be seen through you. And friends, let me say this before I close in prayer. If you're here this morning and whether you're a guest or you've been with us for any number of weeks, we've been talking about how God wants to work through our lives. And that's very true. He wants to work through every life here. There's value in every single life here and what, what he can work through your life. But what he wants to do through you begins with what he's doing in you. And if you're here this morning and you have yet to place your faith in Jesus Christ, you've yet to come to a place of repentance, of turning from your past and turning towards Jesus, then everything that he wants to do with you begins with that decision of allowing Jesus to take the very center and first place of your heart. And this morning, if that's you, I would encourage you, you can begin to call out to God right where you're standing and begin to ask Jesus to come and take control of your life, to repent of your sin. But I would encourage you when everyone begins to move in just a moment, come, come to the front. You can find me, Pastor Paul, one of the other pastors. We're going to be right here around the front. Come find us and just say, I'd love to talk with you for a few moments. And We'd love just to visit with you about that decision, the importance of that. And we've got someone we'd love to connect you with who can give you more information as well. But if that's you this morning, don't leave this morning without finding me, finding Pastor Paul, but more importantly, making that decision to follow Jesus. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning, and God, I just thank you for each one that's here. And God, I thank you that what we look at in our lives and we view in our hands as being less than enough, that when we give it to you, that we immediately recognize that in your hands it's more than enough. That you're simply looking for us to be available. And so, Lord, this morning, this moment, as we begin to move in just a moment, I pray that you'd begin to speak to hearts and lives and that each one, Lord, would recognize that in these different opportunities that have been presented that we each have a part, whether it be a small part or a large part or multiple parts, that we have a part in what it is that you desire to do. And so, Lord, we give you the rest of this day. We give you everything that flows from this moment and the opportunities that are being birthed in our hearts and in our lives through this moment. And our prayer is that you'd take them, that you'd multiply it, and that you'd bless it so that, Jesus, ultimately you're seen. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.